So we're, we're continuing our series in Psalms uh, 127, or in the summer in the Psalms. If you turn to one, Psalm 127 on page 657, um, we are in a season of fatherhood crazy, a uh, bunch of little ones running around our children. So this is uh, what I woke up to. Huh? My wife drew these. Uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. That's my four-year-old. Um, so yeah, it's uh, it's crazy and hard and wonderful all at the same time. Psalm 127, a roadmap towards a restful life. If you'd um, read with me, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stay awake in vain. It is vain that you rise up early and go to late, go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. For he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb a reward, like arrows in the hands of a warrior, are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who feels his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. It's the reading of God's word. Thanks be to the Lord. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, thank you that you are way more passionate about our lives being transformed into the likeness of Jesus than we are. And you are way more powerful and capable of changing us. And we pray, Lord, that the gospel would be clear, the power of God would be evident in the preaching of your word so that we leave here hopeful, joyful, filled with your spirit and ready to live out your callings as godly men and women, wherever you have us in, your, in, in our places of life. To the glory of Christ, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> I, um, I went to college at a state school in western Kentucky and uh, I majored in engineering physics, which turned out to be a really helpful major for pastoral ministry, right? Um, I mostly now use it for things like um, arranging my dishes in the dishwasher in the most efficient way. Uh, that's, that's about it. But anyway, I, I had to take these physics classes that would have two or three major tests with only two or three questions in the whole test. And um, considering I was at the lower end of my class, uh, this led to a lot of anxiety and a lot of and, and when when these tests would come up. And I'll never forget preparing and studying, working hard for many days to study for this electromagnetics test I had. I wasn't good in that class, and we were allowed to bring this five by seven card in with us. I got some nod of the heads from some, from some engineering students, but you get to bring a five by seven. Note card and, you know, a magnifying glass with you to read your little, you know, notes with you. And um, as I sat down, I, I started, uh, you know, looking at these two or three questions that were before me. And this thought went through my head that uh, how crazy would it be if I forget one of those most basic equations that we've been using all year that are needed to start any of these questions that I didn't need to write down on my note card. How, how crazy would that be? The mere thought of it happening uh, sent a panic through my body. My mind went gray and black, 
And I remember it was, it was winter time because I had this sweater on and it was cold outside, but I mean, it was like 140 degrees immediately and I rip it off. I mean, I just remember the moment and sweat is pouring out my body. And I ended up not being able to even start any of those three problems because I'd forgotten these equations that I knew very, very well and I could not come up with them. That uh, test made up a third of my grade and I made a nine out of a hundred. <laughs> not a fun day. It probably would not take you long to think of some moments in your life where you worked really hard on something, but in the end, it just did not work out as you, as you hoped, or even you failed miserably in it. Now, life is full of separate, uh, situations where we labor really hard for something, and it leads to a real empty result. And it could be as simple as building a garden, um, and <clears throat> the weeds take over, your plants don't survive, or sports where you work hard at and you don't make the team, or uh, you build a resume for a job, or you study for something, and you don't get the, the job or the promotion you want. Verse 1 in this passage shows us that this is, it is a normal part of our lives to be laboring hard at building or watching over, maintaining some aspect of our life. And in the end, our effort to build or maintain these things leads to vanity which means emptiness. It just doesn't, just doesn't work out. It doesn't go well. And this psalm, it doesn't provide a roadmap to success for all these aspects of life so that everything will go as planned. But it does, however, give us a roadmap towards experiencing an inward rest, the type of rest that we really long for in all the things that we are trying to build or maintain in our lives. And so I want to look at two things from this passage. One is just reasons that we lack a restful life. And two, what is that roadmap towards experiencing a restful life? So first, reasons we lack a restful life. Verse 1 says, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor, those who build it, labor in vain. Have you ever tried to build a tower out of blocks or cards uh, or Legos or something like that with a two-year-old sitting with you? Um, I try it often with little success. In fact, last week, um, our child wasn't doing well, and or two weeks ago this actually was, and I was in the cry room with my two-year-old. And, um, and, they, and we have these little foam puzzle pieces that you can kind of stack up and make a, a box out of. And so I was... I was putting these boxes together and, or these foam pieces together and try to build this little box. But I, every time I got about halfway through before this little two-year-old Godzilla, you know, crushes it. Um, if you're, if you're wondering, I was paying attention. I was all in while I was building blocks. I got this vision right just now of like this, um, you know, like the cry room being packed. Like, I didn't know we had foam blocks in there. <laughs> no, I'm in, I want to go in there. Uh, anyway, this, this word vanity, it means, it means useless or, or emptiness. It means this, and much of what we build or work for in life or try to watch, watch over or maintain that we will experience a sense of vanity or emptiness. And, and the passage gives us at least two reasons for this that I want to point out. One of them is in verse 2, and, it, and it's this, because we work in a fallen world. Verse 2 says that some rise up early and go, to, go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. 
eating the bread of anxious toil. You see what's happening here? This is a person that's working really hard in life. Probably with long hours, rising up early, going to bed late. And in some sense, they're earning the bread that they're trying to to work for. But that bread is coming with a cost, right? It's, It's coming with anxious toil. There's pain. That word means pain or burden. Pressure and anxiety is, anxiety is associated with their labor. This word in Hebrew, for the original readers, they would, have, they would have immediately thought about Genesis 3. It's the same word. It echoes what God promised Adam and Eve when the, of what their sin had brought into the world. The curse of pain and toil in the midst of whatever labor they have. God tells Eve that, then, and, and really us now, that we will now forever live in a fallen world, that you're going to try to build a family, but there's going to be pain and anxiety associated with it. There's going to be the pain of wanting children but not having them, of having children but then losing them before they're born. There's going to be pain during delivery. And a side note, um, I seriously almost passed out, not because of my pain, because of Miriam's pain in the delivery room, so... I don't know that pain, but um, it seems bad. <laughs> There's the pain of raising children. Uh, you know, sometimes it's just they're sinful, but sometimes it's just because they're draining, right? Then he turns to Adam and tells him then and us now that there would be thorn and thistles and sweat associated with all our work. Pain with working hard to get a good education and then just not getting the job we want or finding an unsatisfying job and pain from working really hard to make, and in the end, just not making the income or the promotion that you really wanted. And, and one reason we experience vanity or emptiness in all our labors that leads us with this anxious toil, into this anxious toil in life, is because we just live in a fallen world where things are never going to work out as we hope until Jesus comes again. Or one day they will. Another reason we experience vanity and anxious toil of what we work to build and maintain is not because we live, we work in a fallen world, but because we work with our own fallen desires. Verse one says that unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. In order, in other words, the reality is is that we do a lot of things to build houses and businesses and families that have nothing to do with the Lord. And let's get real honest here for a second, because there are a lot of very successful, even non-Christian uh, business owners. There's a lot of very wealthy people living in, in big houses and, and drive nice cars that care nothing about the Lord. So the question is, is what is he really talking about here? What's he saying? Now, I think he's saying this. I think he's saying, if the Lord is not at the center of what you are trying to work for and build in your life, you will never ultimately get what you are looking for out of that thing. Let me say it one more more time. If the Lord is not at the center of what you are trying to work for, to build and maintain, you'll never ultimately find what you are looking for out of that thing. For those who are building an education, one reason you might experience anxious toil is not because you study hard to make good grades, that's a good thing, but because you have a desire to make better grades than other people around you in your class rates. Or maybe you have anxious toil because you have a fear of being a failure. Those are fallen desires 
fallen things in us and building friendships. One reason we experience anxious toils is because of the fallen desires of jealousy at their successes or, or maybe their friendships with other people. As a single person, there may be anxious toil with friendships because you see them as just a means to get the love and acceptance you're really longing for. It should be sought from God. How much anxious toil do we have in building and maintaining our marriages? Coming from our expectations for our spouse to provide this ultimate love and acceptance and affirmation that we're meant to receive only from God. Or the anxious toil that comes in building up our children from a desire, not just that they grow up and we raise them, but but to be seen, to use them as a means to to be seen as a great father or great mother a desire for our life to be comfortable and them to not make it more difficult. <laughs> How much of our anxious toll in building our career comes from a need to find our identity from our work and get the affirmation from our boss that says, you were really successful. You're a successful man or woman. Or to simply use our jobs to make a name for ourselves. I read an article in the Atlantic um, about a lacrosse player named Isabel who worked really hard, rising up early and going to bed late to be the best in her high school at lacrosse. And it didn't take long for her to be recruited by an elite Division I school, even in her sophomore year. Uh, At the beginning of her junior year of high school, she pivoted in a wrong way in a game and tore her ACL. And she began to feel the vanity and the emptiness of what she had tried tirelessly to build as she explains it in an an interview she said that this led her to the hardest year of her life feeling an inward sense of restlessness that led to eventually a a bad eating disorder looking back she said it wasn't she said she was able to see that working hard at lacrosse wasn't the problem that's what she said it was rather looking to lacrosse lacrosse as a way to get the attention and affirmation i really desired In other words, lacrosse wasn't just a sport. It was a means to build a name for herself. It's the same thing that they did in Genesis 11, right? You know, they they didn't just want to build a great city. They wanted to build a city in order to make a name for themselves through building a city. And in the end, there was empty confusion and vanity. God brought it to naught. Much of our anxious toll doesn't come from just pursuing to build up and maintain things in our lives. It comes from trying to find life in what we are building. And anything we try to build or maintain, whether an education, a career, a family, that is not done for God and by God, will lead us to experience the same anxious toil and vanity in the end. For God, meaning building and maintaining things for God's glory and for God's great name. By God, meaning we build and maintain what we have in our lives by his energy and his strength. Isaiah 55 asks the question, why do you spend money on what is not bread and labor for that which does not satisfy? The answer is because we have fallen desires to work by our strength for the building up of our name. And to the extent we build and maintain areas of our lives like this, whether it leads to actual failure or apparent success, we'll never ultimately get what we're really looking for out of that. It was never meant to provide that for us. Two reasons we lack a restful life 
as in, and instead experience this anxious toil and vanity is because working in a fallen world and working with these fallen desires. So, if that is true, what is a roadmap towards a restful life? If you identify with some of this anxious toil in life, what, what would it look like towards leaving here with a roadmap towards a restful life? Let me give you three things to consider from this passage. <clears throat> three things that lead us towards rest. Number one, find rest in how God works. <clears throat> it's almost easy to miss the obvious truth from, God, from verse one. God is a builder. God is the watcher. He's a watcher. The same word here for the Lord building a, a house is the same word throughout the Bible when God calls his people to simply build houses. <laughs> Simple things, like literally building a house. And what's obvious from this is that God wants to be involved in even the small, seemingly menial, insignificant parts of all our working, all our building. Jesus says this in John 5, 17. My father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. Psalm 121 says that God does not sleep or slumber in order to keep watch over his people. Isn't that awesome? God didn't go to sleep last night when we did. Slumber here speaks of those times when we get really drowsy. You know, like late at night or after you eat too much for lunch and you have to go back to work. Slumber refers to those times where we aren't fully attentive because of being tired. We end up being tired and end up being distracted. You know, since it's Father's Day, I'll pick on us fathers a little bit. It's like the difference uh, between how fathers and mothers uh, watch over their children. Some of you are like, I have no idea what you're talking about. You know, <laughs> um, self-denial. Uh, I. <clears throat> I know I'm generalizing here because I know some of you do much better than I do at this, but I can easily say to my wife, oh, sure, I've got my eyes on them, you know, playground or whatever. And it's just like, you know, two minutes later, I'm saying, of course I know I knew that he was on the ledge. I was just going to grab and save him when you said something, you know. Um, it says that God, this, that verse in Psalm 121, it says that God is not like this. God doesn't get tired or distracted in keeping watch over us. Psalm 121.4 uses the exact same word as it uses here in 127, with the Lord watching over us, watching over the city. We read in our affirmation of faith today that God's works of providence are his most holy, wise, and powerful, preserving and governing over all his creatures and all their actions. Isn't that awesome? That's what he desires to do. We also affirm that Jesus is still at work as king, subduing us to himself, ruling and defending us, and restraining and conquering all his and our enemies. So the question is, how do we work building and watching watching over these things in life in a way that God is the one who actually is doing the building and the watching over? Does that make sense from the text? How do we work in a way that God is actually working through us? Let me give two answers to that. Number one, in whatever we build or watch over, we simply, we do it for God's name and his glory. If we build an education or a career or a family, we build it with the primary desire and hope that God will get glory from it. 
not us, but the desire that God's name be made much of and not ours. There's a man named Brother Lawrence who lived, who's a, who's a monk back in the 1600s, and he wrote a very famous book called The Practice of the Presence of God. In it, he said this. He said, our sanctification does not depend upon changing our works, but in doing that for God's sake, which we commonly do for our own. Isn't that good? Take what you commonly do for your own namesake and do it for God's sake. In Matthew 6, Jesus said something similar. He said, the Gentiles, they work so hard. They anxiously toil about building up and preserving all these things in life. But he said, rather you who know your heavenly Father. He said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and your heavenly Father will give you all those things. So work for God's glory in his name. Number two, in whatever we build or watch over, do it by God's strength and energy. Paul says in Colossians 1 29, he says that he is toiling and struggling in his ministry. Notice that this doesn't mean not that we don't work hard. You may not have seasons of really busyness at work where you have to work really hard. But he goes on to say that he's doing it, quote, with all of God's energy, which is so powerfully working in him. Isn't that great? God's energy, which is so powerfully working in him. John 15, John, Jesus said something similar. He said, apart from me, you can do nothing. He's just simply saying the same thing he's saying here. If you try to labor and work apart from God working in you, by his energy and strength, you labor in vain. It brings to surface the mysterious relationship between God's sovereignty and our responsibility. We're called to work hard and build over and watch over these things in life, but we're to do it in a way that promotes his his strength and his energy for his glory and honor. So find rest in God's working. Number two, find rest in what God gives. Find rest in what God gives. One thing you see in, in this passage is God's heart, his desire to give all we need. And in verse 2, it says, eating the bread of anxious toil for he, talking of God, God gives to his beloved sleep. Isn't that nice? God cares about giving us sleep. Are you one of those who feels really guilty for sleeping, <laughs> taking naps? Um. I think I heard an audible no. <laughs> Good. Um, this is not a call to laziness. It doesn't mean that we're sometimes not called to these seasons of busyness and long work hours. But sleep here, it's not just referring to literal sleep. It's referring to an internal rest in the midst of all our labors. That's what it's, it's saying. Sleep refers to the building of watching over things void of that anxious toil. That we often feel. It's a picture of Jesus sleeping in the boat in the midst of the storm. How could he be sleeping? Is the question of that passage, right? The answer is because he had a sense of knowing who is in control. Who is working in the midst of the storm. Who is ultimately watching over them. I, um, my mom has, has been like, she, she sends me cards and notes. Like ever since I could remember leaving for college, she sends me stuff all the time. Um, so I opened this this morning. My Father's Day card. Um, in it, on the, um, on the left side over here, 
uh, made me think of, of this passage because it says this. He said, you set a great example. Your kids are blessed to have a father. And it says, who isn't tossed around by the waves of life. Now, I changed the word because I, I am often tossed around by the waves of life, to be honest. Um, all kinds of waves. Impatience with my children and frustration at work. or where, I mean, it's just, I'm often tossed. But So, listen to this, though. Who is sometimes tossed around by the waves of life, but who tries to keep his eyes on the one with the power to calm the storm. Like, man, that's it. Uh, when we are tossed around by the, the waves of life, our effort is put in trying to keep our eyes on the one who has the power to calm the storm. <clears throat> when David, one more example, was running away from his son Absalom in a whole army in the desert, he wrote Psalm 3. He said this, I will not be afraid of the 10,000s who have set themselves against me. He says, he had literally 10,000, he had thousands of troops after him. He's laying down in a desert or in a cave with these troops, not knowing if he'll wake up with them surrounding him. And he says, I wake, he says, I lie down and sleep. I wake again. Why? Because the Lord sustains me. Note that David did not visually see anything more than we see today. He didn't see this visual, you know, angels with swords surrounding him. But he had faith in God's promise that he was sustaining him. The result was an internal rest and peace. He was able to lie down and sleep. Are you living with the type of anxious toil that leads you from an internal or um, literal restlessness? Do you have that from something you're trying to build or maintain in your life or watch over? God desires that you have this to give you this restful internal sleep. Where you are, anxious for nothing, but in all things that you're trying to build and maintain with prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God and the peace of God, the internal rest of God, which transcends all understanding, he promises to guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Unrest in what God gives, sleep. Verses 3 through 5 gives us one more thing. He gives to us a family. God gives to us a family. Verses 3 through 5, the second part of this passage says, um, God, the children are a heritage from the Lord, a reward from God. And man, if parenting isn't a great example of the need to build something in such a way that allows God to do the ultimate building <laughs> and watching over, in one sense, you know, Here's this, this, this divine sovereignty and man's responsibility again. You know, a mother and father build the family in one way, right? We do the bearing of children. They're the fruit of the womb. We feed them. We change the diapers. And I guess I, I really, I'm, I'm using the word we kind of loosely there, right? Um, let's be honest of who does most of the work in those situations. Um, you know, if I'm honest, I still put my shirt over every time I change a diaper. And I have four children. All right, and we're, uh, insights into my crazy world. Um, we are called to build up and watch over our children by teaching them God's word, by uh, demonstrating true gospel faith and repentance in the home. And because it's Father's Day, let me just take a side note uh, here to, to exhort us as fathers to this. 
I read a great quote by John Piper years ago that's really influenced me. I want to pass it on in terms of our calling to live a godly example, to build up our family. He said that 99% of our actions that influence our children are unpremeditated actions. It may not seem profound to you, but just think about it. In other words, our family devotionals are necessary. Taking them to church and Sunday school, that's necessary. It's crucial. Um, but much... But our children will form much of their worldview and what is most valuable in life and who or what to worship, not from those premeditated things that you do in their, in their lives, like take them to church on a Sunday morning, but rather from observing the 99% of your unpremeditated moments of how you treat your spouse, how you come home from work, what you do when you drop the glass or they spilt their milk or when the lawnmower breaks or what you watch on TV. They will gather from these who or what is most valuable to you and therefore what you worship. And the most important thing we can do in parenting is to make sure that we are always building up our awe in God, of God and our understanding and our treasuring and valuing of the gospel that leads us to really delight in Him to seek Him first above all things. The most important thing we can do is to seek God and love God more than our work, more than even our spouses, and more than even our children. With that said, we can build a quiver of children, but oh, the necessity of God building up and maintaining and watching over their hearts and their souls. Because unless He does it, we labor in vain. And God is a generous giving God and two of the things he loves to build up and watch over and give us are sleep and, and those children and a family. All right. Find rest in how God works and what God gives. And lastly, one more thing towards building a roadmap to restful life is rest in God how, and how God loves. Last thing. Parenting, just one aspect of many areas in life is really hard uh, Miriam and I say all the time that raising children isn't for wimps. We feel pretty wimpy sometimes. Um, but I tell you, a reason why most parents persevere in the midst of the hard, to sacrifice, to build up and watch over their children, it's not rocket, rocket science. It's simply, it, it can be kind of down to one word. It's simply because they love. You love your children. It's kind of weird. Um, you, they don't do a whole lot in the beginning to give back to you. <laughs> You just love them. A loving parent longs to see a young child who is sick get, get rest from their sickness. A loving parent longs to see their teenager who's burdened or confused and anxious find internal rest in their soul. A loving parent longs to see their older child who's struggling in life to find rest in the Lord. And the question we should be asking from this passage is this. Why would God, why would God, the God... who we offended so greatly, um, who we easily, we try to will, work and build up in all the things he's given us, we try to build up our own name. When In the midst of us trying to build our own name and do it by our strength and our energy, why would this God care so much to watch over a people to, um, and to build up for our sake? The answer is in verse 2. God has chosen to make us, look at verse 2, just look at that word, 
he gives to his beloved. The word beloved here is not the Hebrew word just used for an acquaintance or a casual friend. It's an intimate word reserved for only the most loyal and intimate of friendships. It's a reminder that God, listen to this truth, God so loved his fallen, sinful, glory-seeking children that he built a plan, he built up a plan to send his son, his only son, to come to earth and complete the work to do all the work of salvation that we couldn't do for ourselves so that whoever rests in him would come to forever be called his beloved. As we increasingly rest in this truth of what Jesus has done for us on the cross, it really does change us. You know, the more we understand that God, we, we really feel God's affirmation of us, the less we really need to hear it from others. The more we believe that our reputation is secured in what God thinks of us, the more we'll stop trying to build it and secure it through our work, the more we'll feel freed from the pressure of trying to prove ourselves, make a name for ourselves through our work or our parenting or whatever. And we can just enjoy those good gifts that God's given us who are so loved by Him. I recently saw the new Aladdin movie. I don't know if you've had a chance to see that, but the lady who plays Princess Jasmine is a believer. I think her name is Naomi Scott. I recently saw an inter- uh, read an interview about her, and she um, she's talking about having been thro- thrust into a whole new world. Um, thank you, thank you. <laughs> so, oh, sorry. Uh, a world of you know success and of Hollywood that of fame of a name that she did not have before this movie came out. Um, she said that because of her faith in Jesus, this is what she said, she said she, she knows that she's not defined by other people's opinion of her or her work. She goes on to say, quote, No matter what someone says about me on Twitter, whatever the future holds, to know that that doesn't define me is incredible. To know that doesn't inform my identity in any way, shape, or form, although it's easier said than done sometimes, that's going to be the thing keeping me going, keeping the main thing, the main thing throughout. The main thing in whatever areas of life you're trying to build up or maintain or watch over in your life is to build and watch in such a way that you're resting in how God is at work in your life and what God is giving you in your life and God's great love for you throughout it all. May this motivate us to work towards in whatever those areas are for his glory and by his strength and energy. Let me close in prayer. And I'm going to I'm going to um I'm going to do something a little different. Um I'm going to ask the band to come on up um and while they're coming up and before I pray, I'm going to give about a minute or two to just rest your heart and mind before the Lord. Um, some of you have patterns of doing this daily and a couple times a day, but a lot of us don't do this. And if you feel the Lord is speaking to you in any way, in repentance and trust, quietness of your soul is, is the way to, um, is to find that, that rest, restful life. And I just want to encourage you, if you find the Lord probing into some area of life you need to confess before him, I just want to encourage you to do that in these moments of silence. 
uh, with the guarantee that repentance and then also faith that God loves for us to come to him, all who are, are, are burdened, heavy laden with anxious toil. And he says, I promise I will give you rest for your souls. And we need to bank on that. So take a moment with me and, and quiet your soul before the Lord. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we praise you that in the midst of a world where billions of people either are striving in, an, in a religion, thinking that they, can, they have to work their way up to be loved and affirmed and hear your affirmation, get your affirmation, to hear that you love them, in the midst of a world where many people believe there's nothing else out there, there's no other hope rather than building up a career and a family and only what's in this world is their only hope of finding rest. That we have a God who says, I love you and I want to be intricately involved in everything you do and all your building and watching over in this life, that you build and watch over in our lives. The guarantee of that is your son Jesus coming. It could not be more tangible and visible before us. His crucifixion and death and resurrection and conquering of all our enemies and his and securing your love forever. And I pray, Father, all of us would leave here, especially those who come in for any reason with a burden and anxious toil with anxious toil i pray that you would allow us all to leave fully trusting in this so that we experience this rest internal rest to you be the glory in jesus name amen